You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. friends uh it's mike here got ben here as well and uh yeah not a great time to record the oklahoma city thunder preview podcast last week because (laughs) (laughs) something happened to today the carmelo anthony is now a member of the oklahoma city thunder so we thought we'd record this addendum for you uh you should still listen to that podcast by the way, I think a lot of it is still relevant, <laughs> but a lot of it is not anymore. And so we're going to replace that with uh, a new podcast. We got Eddie Masonette, who was on the Thunder preview from Fox Sports and the Sports Fan Journal. And we're going to talk about Carmelo Anthony, Oklahoma State Thunder. Let's start with this. What was your first reaction when you, because that trade came together real fast, right? Real fast. You know, we heard he was on the list, and then less than 12 hours later, probably even less than that, he's on the Thunder. So what's going through your head right now as Carmelo Anthony is on the Thunder? Uh, we talked, by the way, <laughs> about how Ennis Cantor could not be traded, and then now he got traded. <laughs> so, uh, like, what, what's, what's going through your head now? Carmelo Anthony, Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's the obvious thing of, like, oh, my God, like, how does Sam Presti keep pulling these? magic tricks out of this bag, number one, right? And then the second thing is, is like, what type of sell job did Paul George and Russell Westbrook put on uh, Carmelo Anthony, a sell job that Chris Paul and James Harden could not? I mean, we had uh, sources, infamous sources, saying that the Houston Rockets feel like they will land either Paul George or Carmelo Anthony or both and they somehow found a way to go 0 for 2 in that department. Um, and, and, and there was always the, the looming opportunity that Cleveland would just swoop in and make it happen to have the formation of the banana boat at some point. And, like, right now, Oklahoma City is like, yo, F, F everybody else. We're making this happen. It's just like we said in the last podcast. Super going for broke. And this is... This is what's happening right now. Like, I honestly, I'm still having a bit of a tough time processing it. But for me, Carmelo needed to escape New York. He needed to escape it for his personal benefit and his professional benefit. And my only question is, what do we need to do to get a hoodie sewn into his uniform so that we can get a hoodie mellow for all 82? And the Thunder probably go 82-0 if they're able to make that happen. Well, let's see. Let's see how they do it. Um, so the interesting thing I would say is with Houston, I think there was always an issue of. I think he still wanted to go there, but you know, Ben, were you surprised that Melo opened his his uh, no trade clause up to two more teams? Because that was ultimately the impetus to making this happen. Is that he didn't he expanded his list from one to three, and that allowed the Knicks to choose the or to choose the actual best deal, which was not what Houston was offering. Yeah, that's a big part of it. The looming, you know, training camp being around the corner and and then ultimately, 
like the Knicks needed to turn the page probably even more than, and not probably, definitely even more than Oklahoma City needed to add a guy like Carmelo. And so that kind of perfect storm here, the idea that he's getting to open up his trade possibilities but still keep that window real small, which is like title contenders, was also probably really important here. It's not Portland, um, who's not a title contender. No offense to, to the Trailblazers fans. Um, so so I think you, the idea you would that, consider mm-hmm. the Thunder a title contender then? Because I'm not sure I do even now. Well, I'm saying I think that they are in the short list of teams who might be able to knock off the Warriors given in a perfect storm situation, right? So right, right. I think ultimately if we're going to say no one can beat the Warriors and that stops every conversation right at the beginning. But within my, with keeping in mind that there are a few teams, the Rockets, Spurs, and Oklahoma City, that prior to this trade, you'd say that if a few things came together, maybe an injury for Golden State, the right type of um, chemistry building on, on either of those teams that I mentioned, that maybe one of them could be able to knock off Golden State and then, you know, anything's fair game for the for who they would play in the Eastern Conference. Um in in a championship situation. So I think that that kind of the tightening of timelines, um, the Knicks having a realization of like, look, there's only one way to really move forward here. Um, And then ultimately letting Carmelo know that um, we can make this happen right now, or it's going to happen four months from now. And I think that also felt probably like a lot of gravity, um, a lot of weight, if you will, on, on Carmelo's shoulders, which is, do I want to go like deal with the New York media, deal with all the trade speculation, deal with having to talk about what teams I'll go to and do this all over again. Um, in a lot of ways it feels like, you know, like what the GOP is trying to do with the reconciliation for healthcare. It's like, well, we got to do it in the next seven days. But ultimately the idea here is that, or you can deal with it again and have to do this in a much bigger bipartisan or in, in the Knicks, uh, Carmelo case, um, when there's a much more defined market. This was a pretty good deal for them, all things considered. I think you mentioned this is the best deal they were offered. Um, and it's not just that, but they don't have to play Melo. Melo's not going to go to Cleveland. He's not going to be playing with LeBron. It's not an Eastern Conference, other than game one of the NBA season. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you're talking <laughs> about, like, you're talking about, like, four games against them versus two. Like, yeah, I don't think I that's think such a big like, difference at no, all. I know, I know, I know. But I'm saying I think it just works on a lot of levels where the timelines, the players involved, the team that he's going to. Um, you mentioned the Paul George Westbrook push. Uh, Eddie and like uh, that's one of the things I would love to see like um, you know how they did like a South Park um, episode where they did making the show in in one week and they showed sort of like the five days leading up to a South Park episode I would love to see the last 48 hours you know 72 hours of how this trade came together because I'm sure it had a lot of uh, back and forth between the superstars I don't know if they actually got to hang out I'm not sure what they told him I'm not sure if what they told Carmelo had anything to do with Oklahoma City after this season and that's another interesting part of this whole thing you know, does this does this make this in even more like we mentioned in the last podcast? And Eddie, you tell me, does this put even more emphasis on this being the ultimate one and done season? Or is this a hey, let's see how this feels, how we feel together as a team. And maybe this has legs for the future in Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely nothing's changed in regards to <laughs> this is make or break um, for this season. It just puts more emphasis on it. Um, but what I find fascinating here is. Like, if you just think about the roster last year and you just say, like, okay, like, what is this team and what it is now? I mean, they they took their, you know, second, let's just say fourth, ninth, eighth and ninth players and turned it into Paul George and, 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 his, and Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, yeah. all without sacrificing a number one, a first-round pick. And, like, if you say 14 months ago – you know you're going to lose Kevin Durant, but you're going to turn that into Carmelo Anthony and Paul George. Like, that's that's a that's an incredible set of circumstances. And I thought what Ziller 
uh, wrote today. Um, spoiler alert. Um, if you haven't read it, go read it. But yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about this too. So I'm glad you brought yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Ziller basically is like, look, this is a reconciliation of the breaking up the of the original big three with Harden and, and, and Russ and KD. And my fervent belief about Oklahoma city has always been that I felt, and I said this in the last podcast is that I felt like Oklahoma city was an organization that was, um, building it from the ground up from the studs and leveraging money ball tactics and going on the cheap in certain areas to try to develop organic talent and let that build lead them to what could be a run at a championship. And I think what they've learned in a very short amount of time, and I give them credit for it, um, I think I want to give them credit for it, especially Pest Presti and maybe the ownership, is that this organization has evolved into – we need to do what it takes. But when we have a chance at the window, we need to go go for the championship window and put all our eggs in that basket. And now I'm not saying it's going to work and it might already be too little too late. But like identifying that and being able to react in a quick way, uh, I give them a lot of credit. I give Presti a lot of credit for it. And, um, you know, I think more organizations have to think in those terms. Uh, and, and the thing about Presti is that he hasn't necessarily spoiled his future to do it. He still no, has, he just, um, he's he has has just made life. it so that there will be no future. If, yeah. if it doesn't work. I mean, that's, he got, he got to hit an incredible reset button though. Like if, and you mentioned Eddie, you were mentioning the fourth and eighth and giving numbers to guys like Cantor, Cameron Payne, Oladipo, Sabonis. I mean, None of those guys pop off the page to me. I mean, I think of all of them at most Old Depot is a starter in the NBA. But I, I look at it like none of those players are guys I even want on my team. A good team, a rebuilding team, a middle of the NBA team. Like, I don't care about Cameron Payne. Cantor's a nice player. Like, I think Cantor has a place in the NBA with the right teammates, but he's never going to be a league guy. And I'm highly suspect of how he's going to make Kristaps any better instead of kind of exacerbating the weaknesses like you know defense um Oladipo is a guy I've never been high on and Sabonis is a young man who may eventually be a role player in the NBA and instead you have Paul George and Carmelo and like my thought here is and, and Eddie tell me what your thoughts are too but like Carmelo when he's the third guy the spot-up shooter the court spacer the guy who knows his role as not the best player and not the guy who has to be ISO with four or five seconds left is a good player still. We know that as Olympic Carmelo Anthony or hoodie Carmelo Anthony. Um, so you tell me if you think that this is the right fit of all those potential no trade clause being waived situations, Houston, Portland, wherever it may have been. Is this actually the best fit for Carmelo too? Yeah. I mean, look, I think this is all about functionality, right? Yeah. yeah. And my belief is that, you know, it, it, it actually reminds me, this situation for Carmelo Anthony right now reminds me in a lot of ways of what the evolution was for Dirk Nowitzki in, in Dallas. Mm. And that they never, and, and, and actually, the Dallas Mavericks have never asked Dirk Nowitzki to be anything more than what he is. Yep. And yep. I think what we've always asked of Carmelo Anthony, and I think some of that is the byproduct of being drafted in that draft class, thinking about who his peers are. Um, but we've always wanted Carmelo Anthony to be this bigger thing than what he is. When in actuality, Carmelo Anthony is just as much of a scorer as Dirk Nowitzki has been. Um, he's just as much of a defender as Dirk Nowitzki has mm -hmm. been. Um, and, and, and the difference is, is like you know, like like I said, expectations. So, and we've seen what Carmelo Anthony is when he's given a particular role to flourish in, i.e., in the Olympics, i.e., in Mike D'Antoni's offense. 
that he didn't and, like. <laughs> right. right. I mean, that, that's that's the question, right? Like, is he going to accept that that's what he is? I think Dirk, you know, had a different sort of team and had a different sort of... And he was he grew more unselfish as his career went on. I think Carmelo, like, is he going to want to play that role? Uh, especially, again, like, with George now, they have... Westbrook and George already figured themselves that would have been tricky. And now you add Melo to that mix. I mean... Russ isn't exactly like, you know, the dude that will always put Mello in a position where it's exactly what Mello needs at a perfect time. Like, you know, Mello's got to conform to Russ. So we'll see. So I mean, what's, what's what's the starting five like? You tell me, Mike, what, what's your ideal starting five, given what you just mentioned about uh, chemistry and ultimately fit with the other two stars? We mentioned in the previous pod about how the role players for this team are actually quite nice for positioning superstars around them. So... What's your ideal starting five, and then what's your ideal closing lineup? Well, I think it doesn't change too much. You just take Melo and you slide him into where Pat Patterson was going to play, which okay. is the starting four. I mean, it it is a good fit. It's about as good a fit as you're going to get for Melo. I think, yeah. you know, if it doesn't work here, it just might not work anywhere for him. I mean, he just might not be the same guy, uh, and he may never adjust. But it's a great fit for him. And then they also have the capability of playing small at the end, and they – still have Adams. So, I mean, it, it, I don't think it really changes a whole lot about, like, kind of how the, all the rest of the players fit in. You know, you're still – you're basically now playing Pat Patterson fewer minutes, which you probably should have been doing anyway because he's mm-hmm. been proven to wear down uh, if he plays too many minutes over the course of a season. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it changes too much. I guess the question is just is it going to work for Ant- – is Anthony going to want to play the way that he needs to play? And I don't – I mean, maybe. Um it certainly, if it doesn't happen here, it would, like, in a perfect world, like, if Russ is attacking the hoop, Melo is a terrific spot-up shooter. I believe he was about 44% on catch-and-shoot threes last year, uh, which is a really good number. It's just he doesn't take those shots all that <laughs> all that much. And give George now playing off screens and also being a spacer, it's just, it sounds great, but it's got to actually work. And, you know... Now, one thing that's interesting is when we talked about in the last show, we were talking a lot about the urgency level of George and Westbrook to make this situation work, considering their contract situations. Do you think Mello adding Mello adds to the urgency or perhaps adds to the possibility that nobody's really as invested? Um, I think that it probably adds to the urgency, given given that he had to waive his no trade clause to come there. You know, from that perspective, I would think this is a good this is a good sign for the Russ, Paul George, are they going to kind of work themselves, have incentive to work themselves out question. Yeah, I, look, I think that, yes, I agree with everything you say. And I love that Mike always has this, like, kind of contrarian view of like will <laughs> this work like I don't you know like the skepticism and so and I appreciate that because I can go over the ledge from time to time and, <laughs> but but the reality is is yeah I, I think that there's a real commitment to saying like we need to make this all work this we're on a 10-month timeline at this point um and I think urgency and lighting a fire under someone's ass is sometimes the thing that you need to make work, to make things go forward. Um, and, and, and I also feel like we don't like I understand like there's this question of like, will Carmelo be selfish or not selfish? I think ultimately it's going to show up in the film. Uh, and I think that's important because I, my opinion of my observations of Melo is that, like, you know, when he has been told to share the ball and encouraged to share the ball, he will. 
Um, I also think you look on the teams he's been on is like, man, why the hell would I pass to these other people uh, on the team that I'm on with the type of talent I've had around him? So, but we've seen, you know, admittedly, it's a different circumstances with the Olympics and, you know, all-star games and, and, and things of that nature. But Carmelo Anthony is someone who I think is looked up to from people uh, younger than him. Carmelo Anthony's social voice has been as strong as anybody's, not in just the NBA, but in professional sports. And mm-hmm. I think that that does carry a certain type of weight with other people. Um, and so, you know, there seems to be uh, an opportunity here where the egos, while those three players do have huge egos, it'll be interesting to see if they take a bit of a lesson from Golden State. I'm not going to say they'll ever ascribe their lesson to Golden State, but is there a willing to show deference at times to to commit to make this work? Because we've seen with Kevin Love, we've seen with Chris Bosh, in certain ways we had to see it with Golden State as a fourth wheel, but being that third wheel on a team of a big three takes some work. But I think Carmelo Anthony could be in a position to do it because – they're going to basically ask him, hey, man, see the ball, shoot the ball. That's all you got to do, bro. And, like, I only got to do that for 25, 30 minutes a game. Yeah. That's pretty freaking awesome to think about because Carmelo is so good as a scorer, and he's one of the best bottom shooters in the league that we have. Right. It's not like yeah. they got worse defensively either. They right. swapped out exactly. cancer. Exactly. And, and they have a number of players. I mean, they have so much depth to throw around him to try to make up for those defensive uh, deficiencies, too. I mean, that's the whole point of the having, you know, a Patterson and a Grant. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know really at this point. I guess it's a little less depth now. But um, well, they still have yeah, Robertson. They still have yeah, Alex Robertson, Sabrinas. Exactly. They still have Patterson. They, right. you know, they're a little thin up front. But, um, sure. you know, they still have plenty of bodies. Yeah, I, yeah. I think Trey Burke. <laughs> yeah, and the Trey Burke. Yeah, the one player who was worse than Samaj Christian last year. They signed <laughs> oh one guard that they they had. They signed him. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, there's no doubt. There's pressure on Felton to be a legit backup point guard. Just you know, there's there is that component. But Felton's more than qualified. Yeah, player. although now I guess you could say that maybe you could run your second unit as a George sure. Mello unit, and you don't necessarily need a traditional playmaker uh, that way. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I mean, a, Felton had his best year, probably a one of the best years of his career when he was playing alongside Carmelo in the, uh, was it 2011 Knicks? Yeah. I don't know if that ended so well, but yeah. No, it didn't end so great. It ended <laughs> to Paul George's uh, Pacers team, I believe. Yeah. To Roy Hibbert's fat hand at the rim. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Back, back when Roy Hibbert was the future of the center position. <laughs> the, the whole thing about, um, it's not a, it's not a binary selfish versus not selfish. I think it's what, it's good the way you put it, Eddie. It's sort of like kind of a threshold of like what conditions have to be met for, um, mellow to play more like this way. And I don't think it's like an inherent thing. I think it's also that, you know, someone may want, I, I think actually the examples of love and Bosch, I, mellow is not that caliber of player anymore. Let's start with that, which I think may help in a way. Like, I don't know if he really has a huge expectation that he's going to be the man there. Like, I think he's not dumb enough to know that he's not better than George and Westbrook. Like, I think in that way it might be easier. But those examples do prove that even if you know what you have to do and you want to do it for the good of the team, it still can be a big-time adjustment. And you may not – you may do it kicking and screaming. You may do it in a way that is just not – you're just not as comfortable, you know, and you may say, like, this is what I need to do, but it may not be easy. And they only have a year to figure that out. So I think even if Melo is – and I imagine he – again, the level of investment here is important. He's going to come in there, and he's going to 
have come in saying I have accepted my no trade clause and I'm invested in that respect. You know, maybe he really wanted to go to Houston and instead he had to settle for here because he couldn't agree on a package. But he made the decision to come there as much as anybody else. So he's going to be invested, but that it still might be really hard for him to actually learn to play with Russell Westbrook and Paul George in a season. Yeah. That's that any place he would have gone here, no matter what you're dealing with strong personalities, strong personalities in the point guard position specifically, who ultimately controls the flow of the game. Um, a really telling thing from the Woj article though, was that I guess at the end, he wasn't going to waive his no trade to Portland, but he talked about like, uh, geographical shift and that type of dramatic move from New York to, to Portland. Yeah, and I, I find that, that kind of interesting <laughs> that he legitimately met them in the middle in Oklahoma city. Um, but with that in mind though, like everywhere that he was going to go was going to be met by a point guard who was going to say, this is how my team's going to be run. Right. right and in right. Houston's case, not just a point guard, but two ball dominant guards and a coach who has a philosophy that he knew very well. Um, so I think this is probably the place that he probably had the most unknown components, but ultimately that might be the best opportunity for him to rewrite his own script and say, yeah. look, I'm ready to be that team player. I'm ready to be what you guys just mentioned, that spot up shooter. Like Eddie said, ready to get that ball and just shoot it quickly. Um, and so maybe that's part of this. Yeah, I mean, that's why to me, like, okay, great. Carmelo's on another team now. Like, to me, the most interesting thing is is what this says about Oklahoma City. And I know you already talked a little bit about, like, kind of the missed opportunity of, you know, going for it five years ago. And now it's now they're going to be a repeater tax team, most likely, by the way, because they paid the 2016 tax. And then they're going to probably they're going to pay the luxury tax this year. And if they want to keep those guys together, they're going to pay a whole lot of luxury tax. I think Tom put it really well. He was like, they, they spent every penny they had and probably some they didn't to make this happen. Is it, that a little ironic, though, given the reason why the original right. was broken up was? Yeah, it's almost like they uh, they are no longer innocent anymore. Their innocence got shattered with Durant, <laughs> with that whole process. They couldn't just build this yeah. nice, soul, sustainable team that never achieved, went over the luxury tax. Like, you <laughs> know, now they, now that's like, this is the grim reality. But, I mean, oh boy, it could end pretty poorly if they don't, if it doesn't go well for them. I think that's why it's, that to me is the most fascinating thing about this, is that they've had this about face where they realize they're they're not behaving like a small market team right now. And, on the front end, you know, you you have to admire like that. On the back end, boy, it could get real bad if <laughs> if that doesn't work out. Let me let me uh, let me ask. We don't. I know we wanted to keep this relatively short. Now I'll ask Eddie first, and then you, Mike. But does this change where you saw them landing in the Western Conference for next season? Like Vegas saw them go from twenty-one to one to ten to one. So they clearly think this makes that's to win the NBA championship. That is, I believe, Golden State's still like five to eight or something like that. But does this change your opinion of how successful and what the ceiling is for this team? Or is this ultimately just a lot of noise with, with a little bit of uh, with little fury in the end? I don't, I, it's weird. Like I would say within the conference, I think the placement of it, of their success isn't all that different. If only because we understand we've seen this story before we saw the Miami heat start off nine and eight. We saw, uh, you know, we've seen formations of new teams come together and sometimes they start off tremendous and sometimes they, they take a little bit of time to, to work through the kinks. Mm-hmm. And so I think because you've got three alphas coming together, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, so to answer your question very directly, I still see them as a three seed, uh, maybe a two uh, you know, I took to heart a lot of the things that Mike said about the Houston Rockets. And, um, and and when I had some more time to really think about it, what I realized is that I, I think 
I fear the philosophy of Dan Tony more than the personnel on that mm. roster. Um, and what's interesting is that now you add Melo to Oklahoma City, and they are more equipped to face and keep up offensively with what Houston is uh, more now than ever before. Um, so, you know, I am not necessarily so stressed on if they have home court advantage um, or any of those things. Um, so, you know, OKC probably at best now is a two seed, um, you know, still could be a four. Um, conference finals still feels like where this ends unless something changes in, oh, my God, Oklahoma City has recreated some tremendous way to play basketball. And maybe they will. Like, say what you want about – and this is a conversation. I can't remember if I had it with Mike before – but the thing that I always loved about what OKC was building is that they were they were willing to play a totally opposite philosophical style of basketball than what Golden State plays. Yes, Golden State plays ball movement, spread it around, shoot threes forever, and like this beautiful style of ball. My personal opinion is when Harden and KD and Russ were there, and then just KD and Russ were there, it's like, no, our style of basketball is we can beat you one-on-one any damn time we want to. And, like, that's a pretty tremendous way of playing basketball if you're capable of doing it. Um, and I just like the clash of it all, that there isn't always this one way to play basketball. Yeah. Um, and so you, you've got three guys, again, who could potentially do that. Um, I'm not saying they will do that, but the, however they decide to formulate how they go on, on the basketball court, I think will be really interesting to see what happens for this upcoming season. Yeah, style, styles make matchups, right? And, and you kind of see that with Cleveland is more akin how they play uh, to what you know Oklahoma City wants to do, which is uh, variations of isolation basketball from different parts of the court with incredibly skilled players. Uh, and that worked once against Golden State. Now, obvi- obviously, what Oklahoma City is going to be throwing out there is a lot different. Like, there's a big difference between the way Kyrie plays and the way st- and the way that I'm sorry uh, Russ plays. And so, I think it's interesting. I guess. I guess my the biggest thing for me is uh, we haven't even mentioned the Spurs, um, and I guess they're still in that conversation. They should be for the you know could they knock off Golden State? But the matchup that I want to see, and this is what I want to get back to as a fan, is I don't think it necessarily changes their positioning in terms of are they more equipped to beat uh, Golden State? I'm not sure anyone is, but. I absolutely want to see it now. Like I want Russ to get an opportunity to be like, I brought some new guys. Let's do this. You know, like uh, you had me, uh, you got me, you know, you took my, my best player, my, my cohort here. Now I've got some reinforcements and I think that we're ready to have an attack at you. And just from like a personal level, that would be a phenomenal series to watch um, in terms of the, the relationships that exist there. Um, Want to get your thoughts too on the idea that Carmelo replaces Kevin Durant in that philanthropic space within Oklahoma city. Durant, very uh, integral in the community, uh, the hospitals, et cetera. And we know that Carmelo has been at the forefront of that in New York of any of the athletes to play here of any sport. Um, So I would love to get your thoughts. And if you think he jumps into that as well, you know, what's wild is that I actually don't think he will only because time is not on his side. He's only got a year. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine, but I do have a point to make. I do have a point to make on that. And my point on here is a simple one is, I actually think they sold Carmelo Anthony on the essence of every reason why we're here right now. And it's simply about basketball. And I think looked at it because what was the cutest thing about the Oklahoma City Thunder when when this this new franchise was formed and hijacked from Seattle? 
Um, but, uh, you know, they were like, man, what is there to do in Oklahoma City? KD, Russ, and, and, and Harden, and all they do is play PlayStation and hoop. That's it. That's all they do. And, and, and there is something very philosophical and very organic about letting Oklahoma City be this oasis of basketball heaven. And I think that's really what they potentially are selling um, in Oklahoma City is like, man, look, you can go do whatever you want outside of these uh, outside of Oklahoma City. But when you come to Oklahoma City, we love basketball. You love basketball. You come cultivate yourself in basketball. And if anybody needs an escape from everything that is happening outside of basketball, you can make a very clear argument that it is one Carmelo, Cayenne, Anthony, and everything that's going on in his mm-hmm. life. And I think we that's like we love the hoodie mellow moniker. We love it. Like I think this is gonna be his one year escape to see, man, is this gonna be how I rehab my basketball career? Cause now they've ranked them what 65 in the espn rank or the si rank or whatever 64 yeah 64 like this is gonna be a way for carmelo to get to attack and be very petty and try to really rehabilitate (laughs) himself in basketball sense in that way so that's what i find fascinating more than anything it's going to be self-philanthropy more than anything else Ooh, the the image of like a hood <laughs> as as a mental sort of him blocking out the noise of the outside world and going into his own cocoon his own basketball cocoon i never thought of it that way but now i like that makes me like hoodie mellow as a moniker even more that you didn't think about that symbolism like at all that, i like, can't dude, say i did and i really should have now, like now when, when the it, anonymity begins the real mellow comes out it's because he's the south <laughs> And that's what it is. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> I feel like that's like that's like the equivalent of the paper bags that the uh, New Orleans Saints fans used to wear. Hey, they're not School. that bad. Jesus. Um, hey, the Saints on Saints, Mike. There you go. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention one one thing about like sort of where they stand with the rest of the West. Um, I, you know, here's the thing, right? Like, so I, there is a world if Carmelo accepts. Because essentially Carmelo is replacing Ennis Cantor in the rotation, right? I mean, Doug McDermott, no big loss. You're not losing much there. You can play a Brinus more. That's nothing. Maybe Terrence Ferguson more. Like So basically you've swapped out Ennis Cantor for Carmelo, right? I mean, that's essentially what the Thunder have yeah, done. Yeah. Um, you know, Melo will probably play a little more. But so if Melo... If in a, in a series against the Warriors, you probably can't play Melo defensively. You'd have to really hide him. You know, that would have been true with Cantor, and it's definitely still true with Melo. But when, I mean, you have to think of it this way. This is how I was been thinking. The, one of the reasons I'm a little higher on the Thunder than a lot of people are is that I've been thinking about it like this. When Westbrook was on the court last year, which was most of the time, they performed at about a 50, 51, 52 win level. I think their net rating was like plus 3.3. So they're. They performed at a really strong level with the team they had with Russ on the floor. So no Paul George, no Carmelo Anthony, Oladipo, Sabonis, all those. They still performed at that level. In the rare moments that Russ was off the floor, they were beyond among the worst teams in the league. Right? So that's sort of, even though the Thunder as a team were pretty average, like that's kind of the split you have. Except for 40... 41 minutes or what did Westbrook average for or no I guess he averaged fewer minutes because so for the 35 36 minutes or whatever he averaged because uh, they limited his minutes they were on the level already of a 50 win team and it was just in those 12 minutes he didn't play that they were just garbage and that sunk their net rating now what you can do and if is that not in the past Canner was kind of the second unit scorer 
you can make Carmelo and Paul George the second unit scores. You can improve your second unit, um, you know, and stagger the minutes the right way. And now you don't, you shouldn't, in theory, have those minutes, those twelve minutes a game where you're just totally tanking, right? I mean, unless Donovan doesn't stagger, which he will, you know, because he was the one that's first staggered Kevin and Russ, so he obviously knows that he needs to. But you now have three guys, and you can play mix and match with them, and you have the pieces to play other players other than Mel. Like I bet that if you put Patterson in the lineup earlier, and then you have Mello anchor the second unit with Patterson and whatever, you can spread out those. So now you're not going to have those 12 minute tank sessions where you just are completely torpedoed. So if that's the case, and you're basically without Paul George, you're already playing at a 50 win level when Russ is in the game. And now you can prop up so that you're not at negative 8.99 points per hundred possessions. And those rare rare minutes that Russ is out, now you're talking about a team that can win in the mid fifties. Like I, that's sort of where my optimism of Oklahoma City lies, is in that. So now that you have Melo, I think that's especially true. You know, now you basically have upgraded the Canter spot. You know, and they're still going to get slaughtered by the Warriors. But I think that there is a legit case that they're the second best team in the conference, even more so now. If and when they get there, we can tackle that man. You know, you don't know who's going to be on the court for that series, Mike. Don't don't project the slaughtering already, man. Come on. Okay. Fair you're the positive. You're the positive one on here. Um, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think just mathematically speaking, knowing the minutes that Westbrook won't be on the court will not be a net loss. Now that should be good for what four, five, six wins, something like that. It should. That's I mean, again, difference. it should if they all are kind of bought in and adjusting to their roles. You know, like that's what I was saying in the last show. Like on paper, this team is really well balanced now. You know, they're they're very much have addressed like their big problem from last year, which was they have more shooting now with their two star players and they, they can now trot out a lineup that doesn't get destroyed in the second quarters every game um, because they have that. So, you know, if it all works, they have all the ingredients. And so that's the thing. I mean, if Melo can be a 25 to 30 minute player, you know, and play the canter role and be okay with that, like maybe you don't start Melo. Maybe you play Melo off the bench and, you know, he's kind of... He could be He could be like the most uber-Jamal Crawford in the history of the NBA. Yeah, maybe that's how you do it. But that would be a huge upgrade over what they had. Hello, Internet friends. This is Ryan Nanny from the Shutdown Fullcast, where we are running a charity drive to help victims of the recent hurricanes in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and other parts of the Caribbean. How can you get involved? Great question. Go to bit.ly slash fullcast2017. bit.ly slash fullcast2017. Learn about the charities where you can help the victims of these terrible storms. And even better, if you give money, You can force us to say pretty much anything you want because we're easily suggestible and we're committed to charity and also we're bad at making good decisions. Take advantage of that. Go to bit.ly slash fullcast2017. We're only collecting donations through the end of September. So go, go, go. Donate right now. Give us all your money and then we'll say dumb things. That's kind of what we do all the time anyway. Don't worry about that. I know we're a little short on time here. We didn't want to do an entirely new podcast because there's still a lot of value in the other one. 
should should state that there's still plenty of good stuff to listen to that is not uh, completely negated by the fact this trade happened. So everyone listen to that, then listen to this one. But you're already listening to this one if you hear this, so it's circular. Um, we There was other stuff that happened in the world of the NBA, uh, Mike, and I want to touch on this briefly here. Uh, we don't get into politics much, but when sports and politics intersect directly, we need to. Um, and, and I feel like this is a good pod to do. Eddie's got a good voice in the game as well, and I would love to get um, – just your impressions uh, of the the response to the NBA as a community led by LeBron James, but started by um, Steph Curry at the media day for the Warriors on, uh, I believe that was Friday. Um, what are your thoughts on the response the NBA has, has had to Trump's uh, comments, to the president's comments um, <laughs> about their invitation to the White House uh, being a privilege? <laughs> invitation in quotes. Yeah, invitation in quotes because the media day, which – you know, precipitated uh, all of this uh, was that the Warriors weren't going to likely be coming. Um, they hadn't had their official vote, but the, the writing was on the wall. Um, wh- wh- what are your thoughts, Eddie? I'm going to keep this open-ended. I want to get both your thoughts on this. You guys are both writers in this world. You're going to have to articulate your thoughts in paper or, you know, in content. Um, so vocalize a few of them here. Wh- what are you thinking? Uh, my first thought is, um, where do I go to get a U-bum um, <laughs> hat or a t-shirt um um uh, made up immediately um look i think it's one like we live in this world of of like subliminals and indirect communication this is a millennial generation um and you know like people it's actually really hard for i think people to be really direct um and the donald trump this for the first time was, was about as direct he was very direct in what he said and i think um while people have been out, um, outspoken in certain ways, um, this felt like an out, outright attack. And people responded in kind. And it's been really interesting to see the uprising. Um, and, of, of course, like all of the NBA players are very unified in one thing is like they pretty much do not vibe with 45. And, um, you know, the entire shenanigans regarding going to the White House and all that stuff has always been kind of hilarious. Um, But this just really cements it. And to me, my my takeaway is that the time for folks to live in this weird middle ground of not picking a side. Um, I work at Fox Sports and actually one of the things and I probably I won't get fired for this, but I'm not the biggest fan of pick a side. You have to be on one side or the other. Like I kind of live in a world of nuance. But Mm -hmm. when we're talking about something like this, there is no it's really hard to be in the middle ground. Um, And I think that's what you're starting to see more than anything else. And I understand that, like, the NFL doesn't want to pick a side. But the NBA clearly has, and it's pretty cool to see them. And look, you might say that this is going to my sensibilities and my tastes and how I feel about life, but they seem really unified. And I yep. think I know we're, this is not an NBA podcast, but what's happening in the NFL is is pretty fascinating because the NFL tries so hard to not make take a stance and not be and to, to consistently live in the middle. Um, but their players are fed up. Some of the owners are now fed up. Some of the owners have receipts with million-dollar donations going to the other side. And I think you're going to start seeing the NBA being 
the social, they're already the social justice leader, but you're going to, I think you're going to see it even more in this upcoming season. And you're going to see, I think a different, I can't wait for the NFL tomorrow. I, I don't know when you'll listen to this podcast. Hopefully it's soon as possible, yeah. but seeing how the NFL reacts and the players react on Sundays and Mondays, I think is going to be really fascinating. Don't you think it's telling that Steph Curry, the most apolitical sort of athlete that there is in the NBA, the one that sort of has deliberately avoided these stances is the one is at the center of this to Eddie's point about you having to choose sides. I mean, don't you think that that says it all right there is that, you know, that's, that's sort of the thing that is, um, you know, most telling about all this is that this is a player who would explicitly not want to be involved you know, in having to choose a side, but he knows now that he has to, and that it his voice, his platform, you know, raises. It's very loud to be able to do that. So, I mean, that to me is like the most powerful message of all this is that this is, it's now, Steph Curry of all people understands like what his responsibility is as a as an athlete. And I, I also wanted to say I really love what LeBron said on uninterrupted today. I mean, I think it's one of those things where you have to. There's a really fine line between taking the higher ground and not and trying to play both sides. And I think that the NBA has done a really a lot of the start of the NBA did a really good job of taking the high ground with while still playing, not just kind of deferring to a non-statement or playing both sides of the issue. You know, sure. there's a way to do that, and I think the NBA did a really NBA LeBron and Steph and David West, who was really thoughtful today, and Steve Kerr and all the Warriors of have been very vocal about that. And I, I don't know, I appreciate that um, at least because yeah. I think as a binary, there's a lot of people who would say, you know, you either have to be like kind of really outspoken and really um, you know, inflammatory or you have to just kind of say, well, both sides have their, and they're bad people on both sides yeah. or whatever, but there is a middle ground. You can be very much, you know, taking the higher ground and being thoughtful while still standing up for what's right. Well, it's it's also like the NFL has always had an issue with faux patriotism from a financial standpoint that they get paid by our various military um, complexes to do the military awareness that they yeah, do. It's, it's all that. for play thing. So there's, this is not a secret. There are, you can Google that and find the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the ESPN, you name it. Everyone has written about this. It is open and out there. This is a financial game here. Um, the, the bigger thing that I like about this and lebron had a tweet many years ago it said i'm not mj i'm lj and that couldn't be more true and not because of the way he plays basketball or the way he handles himself off the court or the type of role model that he is to younger people but that he is okay with being associated with a political stance that he would he would whether he went to boot for trump during the campaign or whether he went to boot for uh you know for hillary which he did the idea that he wants to have people know this is who I am and what I stand for. And the NFL does not have that. Um, the NFL does not have a singular face of the league in general. They have guys who are close to that. And those particular players do not have political stances. They have a very outspoken minority of the league of guys who are very good players, but ultimately they're not the quarterback. Uh, they're not the, the you know, all pro running back, whatever it may be. These are defensive players, these are tight ends. These are the Bennett brothers. These are very good NFL players who are intelligent, who have uh, um, you know, a lot to say, and they say it the right way and they articulate their thoughts, um, you know, it's smoothly, like with the right type of acumen to get your point across where it's not vitriolic, but it's thoughtful. And there is thought behind the words that are coming out of Richard Sherman's mouth every time he says it. But 
the NBA is a league that embraces the personality of their athletes. And they, they embrace that in multiple, in multiple ways, what they wear, the way they allow for them to, uh, that silver wants them to have as much free reign in the off season, go to China and build your brand, you know, say what you really believe in. But that ultimately goes to being authentic in a, in a 360 way, which is, this is what I believe in when the president of the United States is attacking, uh, a guy who is on a rival team of mine. Like the best cohesion here is that the Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers do not like each other. These are guys who have bickered on Twitter at each other. Um, there is plenty of animosity to go around between the way the Warriors and Cavs feel. And I thought that LeBron immediately coming out and standing up for Curry was the best possible response. And yeah. not just because it was a Cavs and Warriors thing or a LeBron and Curry thing, but it was showing solidarity across the league from your two biggest spokesmen. Uh, Curry could not be, like you said, more in the in the middle thus far in terms of what he has come out with. But he ultimately represents an organization playing in a you know in the Bay Area for a coach who we know where he stands. Um, and I think it's important to see that you know you have this it's bigger than basketball moment right here. And hopefully tomorrow, to Eddie's point in the NFL, is a it's bigger than football moment as well. Um, I encourage everyone to read Doug Baldwin's thoughtful memo that he put out uh, today. Doug Baldwin's one of the smartest guys in the NFL. Um, with a full awareness of what goes on off the field as well. Um, and it's not just Seahawks. It just sounds like everybody I know is on the Seahawks. Um, <laughs> they just they have, to have plenty. There plenty are a of, lot of uh, them. Yeah. Outspoken guys. But the bigger point here is that but, but when you when it when someone like Jamel Hill gets um, accused of going across lines, even though she didn't. But ultimately, this is happening at a higher level when the president of the United States is using his pulpit to individually call out civilians for their roles and responsibilities for who they employ, how they employ them, and how the employers should act. Um, it's very much the open game then for these athletes to say, like, this is not a privilege. I've worked my balls off. Like, this is not a privilege. I'm getting hit in the head every day when I go to work. Like, this is not a privilege. This was a negotiation to the, to the amount of money that I'm being paid. Um, I think it's important that people get to hear what athletes think. And ultimately – if people fall into the side of, uh, um, you know, you're an athlete, stay in your lane, keep it separate. They have the perfect defense now, which is I've been brought into this. Yeah, I mean, know? there's no there's no stick to sports anymore. Um, after one one last, the only last point I want to make about this um, is that I w- there was one word I didn't totally vibe with you on what you were saying, Ben, and that is embrace with what the NBA has done. I think it's really important to. Um, differentiate between these athletes that uh, are taking the stand and suggesting that like the league, it's because of the league that they're taking the stand. Like I think what the league, the NBA has done smartly from a business standpoint, but also smartly because they understand that they understand their players are kind of the ultimate product in a way that it isn't with the NFL. So I wouldn't say embrace. I think the NBA has perhaps allowed them to speak their minds but one of the things i I think we have to be careful of is to not give undue too much credit to the institution of the nba for um all of this i think the most of the credit should go to the athletes themselves yeah i agree agree. and so i I just think we we get caught in the trap of thinking that um we don't want to i think it's it's counterproductive it's almost like kind of self-defeating to suggest that like the league or a commissioner is sort of it's kind of uh, well, no, I mean, look, the, the, you don't have to look any further than like Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf never played in the league again. It's right. Same. I mean, the NBA has a rule that that you have to stand for the anthem. So I, I'm not saying that the NBA is like 
as bad as the NFL. I'm just saying that, you know, let's be careful not to give credit to the NBA for something that's really what the athletes have done. Um, And that's all I would say. I mean, the NBA is much better about it than the NFL and any other sports league. And that's to be commended. I just don't want to give them too much credit as an institution, you know, is all I'm saying. Eddie, any, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I was just going to say, let's be very clear about one other thing is that the NBA has the benefit, although they are not monolithic in their beliefs, uh, there aren't a lot of people, you know, Adam Silver comes out and he says, hey, like, I want you to express yourselves and uh, and be, you know, a, a voice for social justice and social causes and things like that, which is all well and good when most, if not the vast majority of people in the NBA are all generally trending about the same way. <laughs> the difference is in the NFL is like you clearly have a real divide. And yeah, yeah. I think that's, again, part of the reason why I think the NFL is so fascinating. And this is not um you know the the nfl shut down full cast podcast um shout out to spencer and, and and jason and all them guys um but the point is is that no like the, the, you know i think it's it's all it's easier for the nba to be on uh, to be supportive in their crusade because they know their player base um and they know their leanings as far as their belief systems within the the, the league so um this a benefit like they get to enjoy that benefit and you get to see how that plays out in both the micro and a macro level. And I think you see the micro fissures that happen between the NFL and his players and his ownership and his leadership um, playing out for us in a much more dramatic way. So I find all of this fascinating. The season needs to hurry up for both uh, professional reasons and maybe political reasons to a degree too. I, I'm ecstatic. I can't wait. I've already told my people back in Oklahoma to send me a uh, a, a mellow hoodie, double uh, XL. Send it to the crib in LA. I will wear it with pride. Um, and it's going it's going down. And guys, the season is starting in what four weeks? This is insane. Yeah, it's amazing. Real quick before you log off, because uh, we got a couple questions from listeners about this show, and this I just want to ask this one from uh, Matt Matt the Answer um, uh, on Twitter. Worst, uh, he asks to all of us, not a question but a request. Please rate the Russ Paul George Mellow Banana Boat out of ten as a vacation. Would you Would you go on vacation with those three on the banana boat, Eddie? <laughs> Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I imagine the types of threads those gentlemen would be wearing wherever they go would be bombastic, fantastic, um, and, and I'm here for it. And if I get to wear some of those threads, I'm in. Um, you know, and, and look, man, uh, I, I imagine that there will be uh, plantains. Carmelo's Carmelo, Carmelo's mom is going to be bringing plantains. I'm here for that. Um, you know, we get we get Russ and PG talking, you know, doing all types of L.A. weird things. I, I, once again, I've been living in L.A. for four months. L.A. dudes out here are weird. And I mean that in the best way possible. They're quirky. That's probably a better way. to say it. I imagine that it'll be a quirk fest um, on vacation on the banana boat with those three. I'm all in. Let's make it happen. So how much out of 10? 
Oh, 10. 10 out of 10. Pure 10. <laughs> I'd say I'm probably like in 7 or 8. Like, I would enjoy them, but I, you know, probably would enjoy a couple other people more. But that's a pretty solid crew. Yeah. Actually, yeah. You know what? Let me step back real quick. I actually think that the biggest issue would be the ox cord because Russell Westbrook, his uh, ox cord selections for music might be a little bit of a challenge compared to what Carmelo and PG like in my personal interest. I mean, I'm, I'm all about, about Taylor Swift. You know, it's cool. I can do a couple of songs, but I'm not going to be singing Taylor Swift karaoke. So <laughs> I'm going to bring it down to an eight and a half. I will bring it down to an eight and a half unless we can wrestle the ox cord away from Russ. But I feel like Russ, wrestling anything away from Russell Westbrook is a, is a tough task. So I'm going to go with eight and a half. Got to give the guy what he wants. That's fine. Eight and a half down from a 10. All right. I'm going to say I'm right around there, too. That'd be it. I'm in. Like, let's just put it this way. I'm going to try to get to Oklahoma City for a game this year one way or another because I just want to see this team play together, whether that's in New York. But ultimately, tickets for the Knicks games, despite the fact they're going to be one of the three worst teams in the league, um, are still going to be outrageously expensive, thanks to Dolan. Um, so you can season come see opener, like a, right? It's a season yeah, season opener. opener. Isn't that, is it here in it New is. York or is it yeah, in Oklahoma 19th, City? 19th, right? Yeah, so there you go. It's in New York, isn't it? Or uh, yeah, let me double check. Either way, how about that symmetry though? Just for like to the icing on the the narrative cake. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, they get to play each other week uh, in day, in game one. It is in Oklahoma City, sadly. Oh, too bad. Well, anyhow, I, I want to get that. I was at a game in Oklahoma City many years ago now when they played a, a very good Celtics team in two thousand and nine, and it was a great great experience. I can only imagine that it'll be similar this year and guys i guess the best part about this is we just did almost two hours of thunder podcasting over the last like four days and we are still three and a half weeks away from the season starting that's just how like palpable the excitement is uh, for oh, this yeah. season for this team and mike you mentioned last time this was the most interesting team in the nba that level now is like 15 out of 10 i'm sure oh yeah so, no they are even more interesting excited. now uh and by the way i am checking the schedule the <laughs> knicks Wait, when do they play Oklahoma City again? Ugh. I should check this out, but um, uh, regardless, yeah. Thunder. Hey guys, just, just in case you're wondering, I know you guys are both college football fans. Remember when Vanderbilt was going to beat Alabama? I am not a college football ready? fan, so I, I was kidding. I know Mike doesn't watch any college football. Was a joke. <laughs> I know Eddie does well, though. Yo, fifty-nine nothing. Wow. Yeah, don't poke the Alabama bear uh, in uh, September. That's next. Next Thunder is December sixteenth at Madison Square Garden. Yes. Oh, nice. That's right. Fantastic. Now, are they? I think they're not playing the Nets in Brooklyn this year because they're going to uh, um, Mexico City. Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, no they're going to Mexico City. Yeah. That's yeah. It's whatever. I, I hope to go to uh, more than the three Nets games I went to last year, considering I live uh, ten blocks away. It's just it was just not worth it last year. But anyhow, uh, Eddie, this was great, man. Thank you for coming on and giving us uh, you know your, your unfiltered thoughts on a lot of things here, from from Oklahoma City fandom to the uh, the scope of um, you know the relationship between sports and politics, man. So we, we definitely appreciate you coming on and taking a second podcast with us to talk more Thunder here after the uh, Carmelo trade, man. So so very much appreciate it. Hey man, pray, uh, Mike didn't lie when he said he'd have me back on soon. I didn't realize it. <laughs> if, if, if this is what it takes to get me back on, I'm here for it. Anyways, <laughs> always. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Mike, I guess people will hear from us next when we do the Wizards. No, we're gonna do you. We're gonna do Utah. Oh, Utah coming up yes. first. We're we're going a little out of order for schedule reasons, but then Utah and then the Wizards. So the team previews will roll right on. Sweet. All right. Very nice. Uh, again. 
This was a, an addendum to that Thunder podcast, the Thunder preview. Now the Thunder season preview is complete. Hopefully no more trades happen to any other teams that we've previously done the previews on. And uh, always thanks again to uh, Eddie Massinet here. Love having him on. And hopefully the next time we have him on, will be to preview the uh, Western Conference Finals against those Golden State Warriors. Um, so we appreciate that. And uh, I'm Ben Epstein. For Mike Prada, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Podcast.